I want to give everyone permission to not feel like they have to come to a resolution for a hard conversation to have been useful. Like often it's about understanding the dynamic of what's what is causing something that's not feeling good. And then it's like, can I live with this dynamic or can I not live with this dynamic? But a hard conversation will give you more information. Hi guys, we're your hosts Jillian and Kaylin, and this is Teach Me How to Adult, a podcast on all the things you never learned growing up, like how to buy a home, manage stress, crush your love life, land your dream job, and how to love yourself more, because we could all be a little kinder to ourselves. We're still figuring out how to get our shit together, so we're calling in the experts and the hustlers for some real talk and legit tips on how to live your best life. Adulting isn't easy, but we got you. Hi, friends. We hope you're all doing fabulous. And if you're not, that's okay. We just hope you're talking about it with (laughs) someone because today's episode is all about how to have the difficult, juicy conversations that we often shy away from in our lives, especially when someone's like, how are you doing? And we're just like, okay. And we don't actually talk about how we're doing. So let us begin that now. Yes. And this was especially eye-opening for me over the past few months where I've decided to have more difficult conversations and open up and tell people how I actually feel. I've noticed a big difference in you over the past few months in in this regard. Like you really have started digging Thanks, into man. having more big difficult conversations and being like a bit more direct and honest about how you're doing and letting people in and even like between us like we've had some like big conversations about our friendship and the podcast and things that we probably would have both dodged a bit before and now we're like digging into them and they're we're better for it well I think the thing that was holding me back it was two things one I didn't want to burden people with my stuff because I didn't think it was worth bringing up which is ridiculous because the people who love you want to know how you're doing yeah and two I was so scared of having these conversations and I was building up things in my head and untrue narratives of how I thought it was going to go that Mm -hmm. was making me feel so stressed and anxious and reclusive with some people a little bit but then when I finally did have these conversations it was totally fine like I literally put myself through hell in some situations and back for no reason the pre-conversation anxiety can be real but we got so many good tactics from our guest today Anna Sale she's incredible and she just really helped with like how to start that conversation if you want to have a difficult conversation how to bring it up how to like frame it in a way that creates connection instead of like confrontation which I think is so Mm -hmm. important because I think you and I especially have probably most of our lives seen direct communication as confrontation I mean I'm speaking for you but that has been always my fear and so now I'm like no no there's a difference so that's a huge thing that we've learned and been implementing and I just oh I feel so much better for it We talk about it in the episode too, but also just listening to Anna's podcast and reading her book really opened up my eyes to some blind spots I had about myself and things that I find difficult to talk about. Whereas I felt like I was a very like, nothing is off limits. I'm an open book person. Mm. But when you Mm -hmm. really like do the work to examine what areas are causing you like unease and what you don't like talking about, you realize, I don't know, some some shit around those topics that maybe you need to, to work on to like be able to accept things about yourself or just to be closer with people around you. It's true. I think I always thought I was like a really open book and I anyone can come to me with anything. But then at the same time, I'm so closed off in certain things of my life. So yeah, it really helps put a magnifying glass up to certain areas of your life. You're totally right. Mm, that's really, really well put. Yeah, I really, really loved this conversation that we had with Anna um, because it's just so important to like 
move through these taboo topics and get into real conversations with people like fuck small talk fuck getting together and talking about the weather let's have real conversations I'm so excited to share this one so we're gonna just dive straight into the episode because it's it's honestly bloody amazing It is amazing, but we are not the experts, so we called in someone who has quite literally written the book on hard conversations, Anna Sale. Anna is the creator and host of WNYC Studios' wildly popular and award-winning Death, Sex, and Money podcast, where she's been doing interviews about the things we think about a lot and need to talk about more since 2014. The New York Times dubbed her a therapist at happy hour, and we could not (laughs) agree more with that explanation of her. We would love, honestly, to share happy hour with her every damn day so we could pick her brain and have thoughtful conversations like we did for basically an hour and a half in this interview. (laughs) It did feel like a therapy session. I loved it. She's very generous with her time and her wisdom. Anna and her guests have direct, thought-provoking conversations about the topics that were often too squeamish, polite, or nervous to bring up. She is the author of Let's Talk About Hard Things, where she dives into death, sex, money, family, and identity. She's honestly incredible. You guys are going to love this episode. We are huge fans. Like, I fangirled. Teach us how to have difficult conversations, Anna. So Anna, thank you so much for being here today. We are huge fans of your podcast, of your book, and we just can't thank you enough for sitting down with us to talk about having difficult conversations. Mm, Thank you for having me. So why don't you kick us off by just letting us know about your journey from, you know, uncovering truths as a political reporter to highlighting our universal truths in your podcast and book. Yeah. I mean, I, I've always worked as a journalist. Going back was my first job in my early 20s that I landed on where I was like, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and I don't think I knew it at the time, but what I most love about journalism, there's lots of different ways to tell stories, but I, I really loved the relational piece of interviewing yeah, and the way that it let you be both really nosy yeah. and curious and adventurous. <laughs> My first work, I covered sort of everything, as you do when you're a young reporter. And I found that, you know, I gravitated towards, you know, policy coverage and political coverage um, because I think that was that was the model um, of what was, quote unquote, like important journalism, like the way to be an award winning prestigious journalist is to be at the state house and uncovering things that the people in power are trying to cover up. And I certainly love that kind of journalism. And I have so much respect for people who make their lives doing that and who contribute and do service in making that happen. But I think over the years of working as a politics reporter, I sort of found I was most fed and energized by the conversations I was having with voters about how they were gauging you know, the direction of the country or the Mm -hmm. direction of their state and what details about their lives they were sharing with me. And I did that for a lot of years and loved the freedom that it gave me to like put microphones in people's faces and ask them about how they thought things were going. But my own personal life sort of collapsed is a nice way to put it. (laughs) And maybe collapse is too dramatic. It's when I like had a, had a reckoning with like what I thought I'd put in place mm. and what was going to be the 
building blocks of my adult life, it fell away in ways that I wasn't expecting. And for me, mm. how that happened is I was married. I got married when I was 26, was married for almost four years to my first husband. And then that marriage stopped making sense. Uh, and it was sort of a, a process of, oh, neither of us saw this coming. What does it mean that it doesn't make sense for us to be married anymore? How do we align that? with our values and yeah. who we say to ourselves that we are. That was a long, that was a you know process for me that like not only like blew up who I was living with and my financial life and whether I needed to still live in New York City, all these questions all of a sudden got opened up. Yeah. And I found myself craving as a consumer of stories and journalism more <laughs> what, have, what have other people done when this happens? Like podcasts yeah. like this, like yeah. tell yeah. me that, that I'm not the only one who's felt like I, I lost the script and have, you know, don't know what thread to pick up. Yeah. So that sort of like led me to basically make the argument to my bosses. Like I have a demonstrated record of showing that I can like talk to people. I can yeah. get them to open up. And what if that is the thing instead of doing it in service of some other headline news or politics coverage? Mm. What if we say this is in itself important journalism? And I feel like asserting that it's important journalism, I don't know if it was intentional, like I was aware of this at the time, but I've come to see that as basically like also a very feminist act that the private sphere is also as important as the public sphere. I love what you just said about the like feminist approach to this because I come from a um, journalism and media background as well and working in the women's publications was labeled as lifestyle and then any of the yeah, soft yeah, yeah and so lifestyle was the first to be cut well we're like we're doubling down on sports and news but we're going to cut the lifestyle because it's not crucial in the world right now but the lifestyle was also like women's health and like human yeah. interest reporting <laughs> and having these difficult conversations about divorce and money and death and all of these things. And that was such a great way of framing it and how how important this is to move society forward just as much as any other kind of journalism. Yeah. I do really believe that like this is the kind of journalism that actually affects how people make choices and what their lives look like. And Absolutely. it's really important. A hundred percent. So let's dive into your book, which is such an amazing guide for anyone who either loves diving into difficult conversations, but like doesn't know how to do it in a, you know, empathetic and kind of artful way or people who are just, you know, super avoidant and grew up with a broom in their hands to like brush everything under the rug, which I did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so your book <laughs> is divided into... <laughs> Yeah, like native tongue is avoidance. But your your book is divided into five sections of typically difficult conversation topics. So death, sex, money, family, and identity. What, this is a big question, but what do you think holds us back from talking about these things overall? You know, is it guilt and shame and societal programming or like these days fear? Like what if I fuck up and say the wrong thing? You've kind of, you have the probably the best review into this of anyone. Yeah, all of the above. A lot of us have been socially conditioned that talking about hard things is impolite, mm -hmm. rude, mm -hmm. um, and unnecessarily causing discomfort um, yeah. for people around you. The Canadians I know and love in my life, 
um, where you hear the word sorry a lot. Yeah. Like it's yep. it's like a different form, but <laughs> I relate to like this, my family comes from the American South. So a real sort of like papering over with like smiles and kind of yeah. indirect communication mm. um, as a way of keeping things hospitable is a real value. So I think that's part of it. I also think the fear of messing up um, is a big one, yeah. uh, particularly around maybe with identity is like a real fear about missing up and not knowing the current way that you're supposed to frame this or that conversation. Totally. Or with family, it's like, gosh, if I bring up this conversation inside my family, like what well-worn patterns am I like going to possibly like mess up and what could that explode? Yeah. So these are all like perfectly reasonable ways to think about like, what is my role in relationship with people around me? Like, how do I want to be? And what do I want to do when I'm in space within community with them? I think the the other thing that I would say that that holds us back is often if we don't know how to fix something that is wrong, hmm. we don't, we sort of like pull back in, in death. That's often, you know, somebody's in grief in your life and you're like, do I mention it? Do I offer condolences? What do, do I say? Like, let me know if you need anything and then skip to the next thing. Yeah. It shows up in a different way with money, which is like, if I acknowledge the existence of money, is it going to be weird that it's kind of clear that I have a little bit more money than this person that I'm talking to? And let's just pretend money doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Know, right. Like, which is a fallacy. So I, for me, it's, it's the reason to have conversations where you're acknowledging the existence of things like death, sex, money, family tensions and identity differences is because these things exist. Yeah. And when you pull away from conversations about these hard things, you isolate yourself. Uh, stigma compounds into shame. Mm -hmm. And you're not in a position to sort of compare notes with what your experience has been with somebody else in your life, or you're not in a position to like address real disagreements and conflict and figure out if the terms of your relationship with somebody need to change. Uh, my advice is not like, just go in and say what you got to say. You know, <laughs> like it's not a, it's not a manual for candid conversations. It's more like prompting us all to reflect on what is lost mm. when we don't nudge ourselves out of our comfort zones and have some conversations that might be easier to skip. And I wanted to make this argument in the context of what I think is like a real the way that our society is changing is that like it used to be we had more ways to sort of maneuver around these hard conversations because we could lean on rituals and we could lean on institutions to mm. lead us in these conversations collectively. And as more and more of our lives are sort of like freelanced, you know, like yeah. we're on our own yeah. to like figure out oh, what's my approach to banking. Yeah. I'm going to go online and figure it out. Or yeah. what's my approach to what kind of family I might have and how I want to define, you know, chosen family and how I want to structure my life. Like a lot of what was sort of imposed on us for good and for bad has fallen away. And with that freedom, more of the responsibility is on your shoulders to have those conversations, figure it out in your own life. Because otherwise, you don't have the support of previous institutions and rituals, That's and you true. don't have the company. And so you just have a lot of like overwhelm, maybe yeah. mm -hmm. a lot of shame, secrets, denial. Uh, there are better ways to live. Is that where you grow up in the family unit? 
you're kind of set in your structural ways that your parents sort of predetermined for the first 18 years of your life. And then you go out and become an adult and you realize like, hey, maybe I want to do things a little differently. Maybe I want to raise my kids differently. And some of the, you know, rituals that used to happen are just not aligning with your values anymore. Is that where you can also see a a shift in identity and, and why there might be a struggle in having those conversations with family? That's a big piece of the family chapter that I wanted to acknowledge, which was like, often when you feel tensions in your family of origin, it's because there's something that's like, doesn't feel intuitive or like, these are the people I come from. Why all of a sudden am I feeling this distance? Like mm-hmm. we're supposed to have this shared history. Yeah. We're supposed to have these like shared touch points. This, these are my people. I'm supposed to feel understood among them. And I wanted to sort of open that up and say, like, if you feel yourself differentiating from your family of origin as you grow up, that's what growing up is. Yeah. That's normal. Yeah. Right? And so there's ways to think about rather than that something wrong happening in your family. It's like, how do I want to acknowledge the ways in which how my life looks is different from the choices my adult sisters have made in building their lives? Like, Mm -hmm. rather than like, did I do it right and you do it wrong? Or like, oh, you're doing it this way. Like, why did you do it that way? Like, can you approach a conversation with a spirit of curiosity rather than a feeling of, um, you know, oh, if you're making those choices to live there and to have your family work that way and to have kids and raise your kids that way, like not receive that as a judgment on your own choices. Um, and so how to have those conversations about the way you're you're becoming different that are curious about that and let it all in. And the curiosity is so helpful because I feel like whether it's with family or, or anyone in your life, when when you feel questioned a bunch, it's easy to jump on the defensiveness and to feel like, oh, I'm, I'm they are questioning who I am and my decisions and this is from a place of judgment. But if we can receive it more as curiosity and the person asking the questions can really deliver it, ensuring that like I'm I'm asking out of curiosity and care and I want to understand, not because... I'm trying to make you justify everything that you're doing, then we can get a lot farther with the with the discussions because I know I can default to defensiveness pretty quickly. And preparing for this conversation with you actually really helped me identify some blind spots. And really like the buckets of your books, I think can really help people figure out their blind spots because I'm very, I'm like, I shy away from confrontation, but I'm very much an open book about like anything taboo, like love talking about sex, love talking about family drama, love like let's sit down and get into some shit. Like I love that. (laughs) But then I started, so I was like, oh, well, I love having difficult conversations. This is my jam. And then when I was really looking at these kind of pillars, I was like, actually, I get really uncomfortable talking about money when it comes to like, how was I able to put a down payment on a condo in Toronto when most people can't do that when they're young right now with the the cost of living here and then I realized I have so much like shame and guilt and discomfort around the fact that I was able to have a bit of help from an inheritance and I feel very guilty about it and like I don't deserve it and so I I hate talking to people about it and I just avoid it you know and there's other instances like yeah I love talking to all my friends about sex but you know when you're navigating the dating world all of a sudden it's like well is it too early or too soon or am I going to be portraying myself in a certain way if I like lead with sex and sexual preferences and like even if you think you are like the queen of difficult conversations we all have uh, (laughs) these little blind spots that might be you're not really aware of them until you do this this kind of thought work. Oh good I'm I'm glad it was helpful and and I don't know if you were talking about being defensive and feeling judged when people are asking questions but I was picturing you 
Um, the relationship I was picturing when you said that, I was picturing a parent saying like, oh, why are you doing that? Uh, um, in a way that you're like having to justify what you're doing. Yeah. I don't know if that's how, was that the, what you were thinking about? I, I mean, I've definitely had that, but I was thinking friends actually in this case. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because um, what it made me also think about now I have two little kids now parenting and being a mother, I, I am aware in my own family conversations, like, like my lack of curiosity about why like my mother worries about me for certain things to turn the conversation to be like, hang on, hang on, hang on. Wait, when you were like, had two little kids in the early eighties, like what was childcare like? Like, yeah. like to turn it and to be curious, curious can help you see maybe the way they're expressing love can feel a little suffocating and like they're not trusting your judgment. But instead it's like, oh wait, I need to understand more about the context in which that you're bringing to this conversation because mm. we live in different worlds because yes. a lot has changed in 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I love that you said that. I have a, a perfect example, Jill. I haven't even told you this yet, but my mom has been like bugging me about my weight lately that I've lost weight. And I thought she mm. was doing it in like a weird I didn't feel like it was coming from a good place and it was really starting to bug me. So the last time that she said it a few days ago, I was like, mom, enough about my weight. I'm okay. I'm eating. Everything's fine. And she was like, honey, when I was your age, I was diagnosed with cancer and I had stage two and I didn't know about it until I got blood work done. And one of the symptoms was that I was losing a lot of weight. And I was like, oh my God, mm. mom, I'm so sorry. Did you know that she had cancer when she was I young? knew she had had cancer. I just didn't okay. know that the symptom was the weight loss. Yeah. And that's how they, mm. they had found it when she did the blood work. And But it was just, she just kept saying, honey, you're losing a lot of weight. Be careful. And I was like, what do you mean be careful? Like, like uh. that's why I was getting frustrated. But then when I dug deeper after accusing her and attacking her, I understood why. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I feel does. like a huge piece of shit now yeah I'm like oh you love me oh my god so and I'm fine I did blow work everything's okay but uh yeah it was coming from a place of love but I just yeah I, I, I didn't ask the questions to I just sort of mm. spiraled it in my head and was like oh she's nagging me like this is mm. just a mom being a mom mm. <laughs> oh. I'm glad that she shared that yeah like yeah for sure Let's dive into the anatomy of like what a really productive hard conversation looks like. And I know like you're you're very clear in your book, like it's not prescriptive. There's no like specific formula, but I really did love how you kind of help people see that there are ways to prepare for it and like broach the subject to set yourself up for success and like make sure the time is right, make sure there's context offered and like pick up on the cues and then end in a you know, in a specific way that that doesn't cause harm, but isn't necessarily always going to have a resolution. So could you walk us through what that might look like? Yeah, the biggest part is to to think about to just prepare, like to think, what is it that I want to either understand by asking a question or to make sure this person that I'm in relationship with understands about me, how something they're, they're doing is hitting me wrong. Um, so it's it's about kind of like thinking about what I want to express and then how can I tell the person that I want to have a conversation that might be a little uncomfortable. Because when I'm starting an interview, 
I say, here's what we're doing. This show is called Death, Sex, and Money. I might ask you some questions that might feel uncomfortable, but the reason I'm doing that is because this show is about talking about the things we all go through but don't talk about a lot openly and in public and to make more people feel less alone. That's why I'm doing it. Um, And so it's sort of like giving your – stating your objective um, when you're opening a conversation. Like, can I talk to you about something that's been bothering me? Yeah. And and what that does is it like tells the person that you're wanting to talk to that like, oh, we're going into a different mode here. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that has the added effect of kind of slowing down the pace. And I think paying attention to the pace of a conversation is really important because it can help you track when each of you are being reactive. Mm-hmm. Um, like I have a lot of experience with this based on conversations with my husband, I can, <laughs> I can tell. When do I want to break in and interrupt and be like, no, that's not what happened. No, when you did this, you know, yeah. it's like that's my lizard brain that's being defensive and not really listening and um, not attuning to what he's trying to communicate. It's me going into battle mode. Mm. And so by just paying attention to pace, you can sort of see, like I kind of think of it like, um, I don't know, like I'm a race car driver. Like if I feel myself speeding up, like how do I sort of back up again yeah. and take a breath? The thing with hard conversations is even when you state your intention, even when you say there's something I really want to talk about, here's why, and you are really thoughtful and try to be very open to whatever emotional reaction they're bringing, they might not want to have this conversation with you. They might see things really differently and be hurt that you're bringing up something. Um, Even when you take a lot of time to prepare and you're really thoughtful about your own pacing, like you're not in control of how they interact with you. Yeah. All you can do is pay attention to your side of the street. But if you find that somebody is in it with you and you're sort of getting somewhere, one thing that I think is really important is if you're digging up stuff and you're feeling like, oh, this feels uncomfortable. I didn't know we saw this thing differently. Mm. Oh, this makes me feel out of sync with you. Like that's also okay. Like you don't have to like stitch everything back together so everything's like copacetic for a hard conversation to be useful. Yeah. It can be like, oh, I didn't know that that's like, now I understand why you reacted that way. And like, I still am probably going to do this because this is what I do for these reasons. But like, it's going to help me just kind of understand what's going on. I I don't know, like some way of, I, I want to give everyone permission to not feel like they have to come to a resolution for a hard conversation to have been useful. Like often it's about so helpful understanding the dynamic of what's what is causing something that's not feeling good. And then it's like, can I live with this dynamic or can I not live with this dynamic? But a hard conversation will give you more information um, about what's happening. And then you can at least, even if you haven't come to a specific resolution, you like understand each other better, can take a bit of space and then can decide where to go from here. But I think my one of my toxic traits is that I used to always think every conversation needed to be tied into a nice little bow of like, okay, good. We all have our marching orders. We have a resolution. We have our go forward plan. And when that wouldn't happen, I would like relentlessly pursue and and not let things Mm -hmm. go until I felt like clean resolution. And so I think that's why I've been so conflict adverse for most of my life is that it's so stressful and scary that like, what if we don't come to the end with a clear a clear resolution. And now I feel like a bit lighter knowing that it's still a great conversation if we haven't, and we still learned something and hopefully we'll get closer through what we've learned ideally. 
when I feel like something's unsettled and I wish I could bring it back together, it's it's trying to identify, I don't think that feeling is actually that there's something unresolved here that we need to keep picking at together. Mm-hmm. Like, I think maybe what I'm feeling is sad mm-hmm. or what I'm feeling is scared mm-hmm. or I'm feeling like, oh, that thing changed and I didn't notice it changing at the time and now I'm now I'm sad that it's gone. Yeah. And when you're trying to like stitch everything back together, you're just kind of trying to like, how do I, how do I undo this uncomfortable emotion right. instead of being like, what is this feeling, <laughs> you know? And so, so I think that that instinct to try to like make a hard conversation achieve the end of uncomfortable feelings, yeah, it's not going to do that. It can't promise. <laughs> I can't offer you that. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, that's. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> needed to hear it. <laughs> needed to needed to know that. Yeah. So okay. So asking for a friend, me and Jill. Um, mm-hmm. Any advice for anyone who might be a little bit more avoidant or is anxious when it comes to direct conversations or confrontation? Like I avoid it with a ten foot pole, and then at the end of the day, I suffer tremendously because boundaries are crossed. I don't feel I feel fatigued after I hang out with certain people. How do you think anxious people can go about having these conversations and just get better at doing it? Maybe it's that you're anxious and also maybe that um, that you're like a pleaser. I say this as a 100%. pleaser. 100%. 100%. Okay. We are <laughs> fawners so, through and through. Yeah. You don't see my badge? You don't see my badge of honor here? Yeah. Your gold like, star. Yeah. I see it. My degree um, on the wall? Yeah. <laughs> To me, I mean, a very practical way that I have leveraged my pleasing instincts to my hard conversation advantage is to, like, when you express interest in someone, even when it's about something that might feel a little bit, like, you know, more difficult terrain, they like it. Uh, You know, like, turning to your mom when she's talking about her stage two cancer diagnosis and just be like, wait what was it like? Like, can you like take me back there mm. just so I can like understand you were how old and what was it like? Were, were your parents with you when you got diagnosed? How did you talk? like, just kind of like go into it. So it, it's like leaning again, like leaning into curiosity and leaning into how do I listen to this person in my life more clearly um, instead of reacting. And that's going to help you. The other thing that I, I think is, you know, if there is somebody that is taking a lot of energy from you and that you're finding that you are like, oh, I don't really want to respond to that text right away. Like when I think about when I, back when I was dating, like I really, um, I was kind of a weird dater, like because I had been this reporter person yeah, yeah, who like kind of was like every press conference, if some politician was like speaking in gobbledygook that didn't make any sense, my job was to be like, hang on, hang on. What? (laughs) What is happening? And I would do that when I was dating because I would be like, wait, you you just like asked me to do this thing with you, but you now you're saying you haven't broken up with your girlfriend? Oh no. And it it, sounds like you're the ideal dater. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I I feel proud of that instinct of mine because it wasn't in this like, I'm gonna call him out. I'm gonna like it was more like, hang on, this isn't like I'm like I'm not understanding what's happening here. And I just want to be clear. I know for a lot of people who haven't been professionally trained to shout at politicians at press conferences, (laughs) that's not, doesn't come as naturally. It's one-sided. It's just a TV for me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's, 
you can think of it as like very respectful, you know, just these kind of like little things that are just like, how do I shut off whatever weird internal dialogue Mm -hmm. that's taking energy from me? Mm -hmm. And I don't know what's going on with them. But like, for my own self, you can do it in a way that's like, not like, I would like to have a conversation. Can we have coffee? I'm feeling awkward. <laughs> Be more like, how do I stop having to worry about this? Yeah. yeah. Like, what is the way I can just have a text that's like, let's just create a little bit more clarity. I, I think of it like it's it's respectful to them that you're like creating clarity. And also it's like really a kindness to yourself. Yes. Because when you find yourself perseverating because you're avoiding, mm-hmm. like that takes a lot. The that stories that lot, we tell lot, ourselves. Lot <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's over, yeah, the story that you told yourself. There could be nothing wrong and your friend is just busy. They're not upset with you or ignoring you because of something you did. But I love what you said about leading with curiosity. You're leading with curiosity and love. And to them, that's going to be received well. It just shows Mm -hmm. that you care. Yeah, people love to talk about themselves. Yeah, (laughs) there you go. I've seen me do it. (laughs) Kayla's like, yes, she does. (laughs) She's a... (laughs) Jill talks a little bit more than I do, but we love it. I'm a chatty gal. (laughs) But (laughs) on that note, do you have like any sort of metric or like meter for how you weigh out when it's worth it to have a a bigger conversation versus when it's like, "Mm, this might just be something I need to kind of like work through on my own and just like self-regulate a bit? Because like I just never know. I mean, obviously, sometimes it's like it's so massive that you have to. But sometimes I'm like, do I or don't I have a conversation about this? Like, is it just going to pass by letting it pass? Am I making it like bubble up into something more? Yeah, I think that's a really good question because it's it, it it's always is going to have a different answer. And I feel like in my refrain for my own gauging of that, it's like if I feel a little if I feel distance from someone that I usually don't feel distance with, it's like, oh, is this like is this something going on with me? Are they something changed in the rhythm of how much we're in touch? Like what's going on? Is this like the season we're in? Like big on thinking about, is this just like a moment based on external circumstances or is there something bigger going on? Yeah, I think that there is a real value to um, visiting, like using, thinking of that as a verb, hmm. like just spending time that's not um, objective oriented as a way of like, reinforcing a relationship. You know, I do this with my mom and FaceTime with my my little kids who are six and four. Like they don't share personal details with their grandparents over FaceTime, but yeah. just like spending time and then telling each other jokes, like it just yeah. reinforces something. And then you can kind of gauge like, oh, like something might come up in a phone call with like my my parents, for example, like where you hear you know, all of a sudden somebody else's parent has a cancer diagnosis that you didn't know about, or somebody we went to church with growing up has passed away. And then it's this opening to be like, well, how are things going with you all? You know, like um, as, as adult children of aging parents, like figuring out how to get clarity on how that's going is, is always a difficult conversation. (laughs) Um, And I think that it's like, when you visit, there can be little openings where you can do that. So, so I think that question of like, when do I need to have that conversation? And it it also depends on the closeness of your relationship. Like with my work colleagues that I'm in trying to get stuff done week in and week out. And if something's bothering me about something, you know, if I feel let down about something um, with a peer, like I got to, I got to talk about it yeah. or it's going to 
fester in mm-hmm. a way that's not, it's going to make me do just act like a teenager or something. And I don't want to do that. So or with my husband, like who I live with, like when we have an argument about cleaning on a Sunday afternoon, like we should probably like put that argument to bed before we start the week, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, so I think it's just figuring out the timing and how, how deep you have the energy to go, but, but really not, not defaulting. Don't just default to like, eh, that seems too hard. Yeah. I can get over it. Yeah. You know, yeah. that leads to bigger, bigger distances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing we really wanted to talk to you about, and you address this in your book, it's something that you called radical honesty and mm-hmm. Can you tell us a bit, a bit more about what that is and when it's okay to fib? I think I think hard conversations are like a relational act. And what I mean by that is like you're having these conversations in the interest of strengthening this relationship, right? So there are people who live their lives with a mantra of radical honesty where it's like, I'm going to sit at the Thanksgiving table and I'm going to tell all these people that they're fucking wrong. That's one way to live. Like, and there are <laughs> instances where you may need to take that stand, but I am not an advocate for doing that every time you are sitting at a table with people you find you disagree with. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's like, what are the things that you can create connection on? How do you build from there? And then, um, you know, you might, you might paper over something that would cause tension in the interest of comfort. And then it, but if it's something again, that's festering or that's making you feel like you're compromising your safety or your honesty to yourself, like over time, that's when you figure out how to have that conversation in a way that simultaneously, again, builds on that relationship that you've been tending with your fibbing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. Like right. your fibbing has been doing work to make sure you have this relationship. Yeah. What's the outlook you want to lead with? Like with any person you say, like, how's it going? How's it going at work? Mm-hmm. Like you can lead with the things that are feeling good or you can lead with the things maybe that are top of mind or the things that are going not so good. Mm-hmm. And I, I try to toggle between like, what do I want to lead with instead of just immediately um, True. going leading with my angst? Yeah, that's really That's really important because I do think I know a lot of great communicators who who very much subscribe to radical honesty, but then I'm like, but honesty without tact can also be cruelty. And so I think Mm -hmm. having hard conversations and and being honest is what we all strive for, but doing it with compassion and doing it at like the appropriate Mm -hmm. times. And there's also like this interesting middle ground that can be like kind of like where you can use humor mm. to sort of be like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Like, or or like kind of use your charm to sort of like acknowledge when something hit you in a weird way, but not be like, whoa, you know, uh, that, you know, it's yeah. like, it's like playing with tone, you know, yeah. you can sort of like, um, it, it's a, it's, that's what I think is so interesting about conversation. It's a little bit like, um, like I'm picturing like badminton. Like sometimes you just want to keep the like little birdie like going back over the net. Yeah. And then sometimes you want to be like, oh, that's how you see things. And then you just want to like slam it back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. When it's time to be like, that's a deal breaker, you know, like you have to use every single way you hit the birdie for a successful conversation. That's such a great point. You must, you've just probably been in my head lately because I 
as I've mentioned, like can be a little defensive sometimes. And a friend said something in passing recently that I thought was a bit rude and a bit aggressive. And normally I'd be defensive and and be offended and, and feel very sensitive about it. But instead I was like, what if I just try something different this time and rally back. And then I like mm. made a joke of, about, of it and was like, oh, thanks for noticing. Like, and just and put it off as like a circle, you know, just a kind of a funny diffusion. And then I felt better for it, you know, and whether it affected them or not, it didn't really matter because I felt like I was able to shoulder it and move on and not feel like what a, what a rude thing to say. I was just like, okay, <laughs> I can move on now. <laughs> I sort of think I love those things like where you can like having been the recipient of when somebody sort of does a jokey retort, the way in my head that like sort of echoes back. It almost is like when I'm going to sleep, it'll like bubble back up and I'll be like, wait, what happened there? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I'll be like, I think I said something in a way that I was not the tone I was going for. Uh, and it like causes self-reflection on yeah. the like thing instead of just being like, you know, Jill was so sensitive. Yeah. Could have just let it slide. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 It was like, oh, I was subtly called out, but it was so subtle. It didn't come to me until I was laying in bed thinking about my day. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for noticing is a really good retort for when somebody says something that you don't like. Oh, it lands. Oh, thank you for noticing. Yeah. 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 (laughs) You could use it in a lot of different Yeah. I'm going to keep that one. That's where tone (laughs) comes into play. Yeah. 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 My heart is really, really full from this, and I just so appreciate you and everything you do, and I just feel like I've known you for a very, very long time, so thank you so much for all the wonderful things you do, and please tell our listeners where they can find you, what you're up to, where they can follow you, all the things. Yeah. Um, Where I'm I'm most findable is uh, every week we release episodes of Death, Sex, and Money, um, the podcast about the things we think about a lot and need to talk about more. Um, And my book is called Let's Talk About Hard Things. Make sure you tune in next Wednesday where we are diving into our second part of this episode with Anna because there is so much more amazing stuff to cover. We hope this episode helps you have the honest, hard conversations that can help us connect more deeply with our loved ones and even with strangers. We will leave you with a quote from our queen, Brene Brown. Daring greatly means the courage to be vulnerable. It means to show up and be seen, to ask for what you need, to talk about how you're feeling, and to have the hard conversations. That's what she said. So there you have it, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard today, it would mean the world to us if you would subscribe and leave a comment or a rating. And we'd love it if you would share this with your friends by screenshotting the episode and sharing it on social by tagging at Teach Me How to Adult Podcast and DM us with any topics or guests you'd like to hear on the show. See you next time. Bye. Bye.